Imposter syndrome is something that a lot of us feel from time to time and some folks feel all the time. It can affect your productivity, kind of prevent you from growing as well and taking new opportunities. So this week I'm having a brilliant chat with author, speaker, nervous system and subconscious programming expert, get that, and a podcast host, Cara C. Payton. Now we dig into kind of what imposter syndrome is, how it can make us feel and how we can overcome it and grow with confidence. There's a bunch of links in the show notes, so check out those and don't Don't forget to subscribe to the pod if you enjoy the episode. So let's get to it. Hi, Cara. Hi, how are you? I'm not bad. I've been looking forward to this. I'm not sure whether I should actually be here, though. (laughs) Well, we can talk about that. (laughs) We can talk about that. Absolutely. Um, Let's let's get on with it. Um, You've got 30 seconds to tell us who you are, what you do, uh, starting about... Now, I am a motivational speaker and an authenticity strategist. I help people reprogram their subconscious. I have a 10% ranked podcast with five years experience. And I I basically help people create an identity of freedom through authenticity. So you can end self-abandonment, heal your nervous system of emotional addictions, and stop keeping the secret of you. Where time left over. Yeah, where's your website and your podcast? Oh, carapayton.com, Happiness Habit Podcast. <laughs> I love it. Uh, the pressure, the stress of it all. Um, what I'll do is I'll stick some links in the show notes so folks can tap on those. We're going to be talking about imposter syndrome, which I, which do, it's a thing which everybody kind of has heard about, but I don't think we talk about it an awful lot. But it can, it can actually be quite debilitating if, if you feel, feel this way, can't it? Absolutely. It can be the very the very catalyst for the decision making on whether or not you'll jump into a project or jump into a relationship or enter the arena of something challenging it it really can be the last the gatekeeper for your potential yeah um and it, that affects your productivity it, it, it definitely doesn't it yes because every single thing that you have to make a decision on you have to consult through the filter of whether or not you feel ready feel prepared feel mm-hmm. educated and it, if you answer any of these questions with a negative rather than a positive or an affirmative that you don't have to be ready to start, you will continuously take an entire day's work and put it through the machinery of your overthinking or your procrastination or perfectionism. And as you can imagine, you do that five days, six days out of the week, you're, you're looking at a massive trajectory deficit on your ultimate potential being realized. Yeah, the the one thing I'm kind of realizing more, I think I knew it at the beginning, but I think I'm realizing it more the more of these episodes I record, is that productivity is incredibly holistic, isn't it? I think that it more, to use a different word, rather than productive, because we can be productive mm. and still not have it go toward our chief aim or our definite purpose. People are busy all the time. Yeah. But our, our days are full, but they are not necessarily full of meaningful, needle-moving yeah. activities. And so rather than productive, I would like to say effective in That's that way. Good, yeah, because, I like that. Because tactical, we can be busy. Yeah. And we're busy with tactical stuff that doesn't actually move the needle forward toward our chief aim or a definite purpose, as Napoleon, to quote Napoleon Hill's, how he frames that, that chief definite purpose that one outcome that i'm really really after 
I can do a lot of things to throw myself into the weeds of the tactical busyness and all of the stalling tactics and all that. And imposter syndrome speaks so much to all of these things. We don't really realize that we're, we're trying to hit the dartboard, but we need to turn around and go the other way. I like that word, effective. That's better, isn't it? Because productive always screams LinkedIn. You've got to do as much as you can, as fast as you can, yes. and smash your day. Oh, So let's get on to imposter syndrome. How would you actually define what imposter syndrome is? Imposter syndrome is a self-inflicted hallucination that mm. you are not out there in the world as you are at home in the privacy of your own four walls. You're afraid of being found out like a fraud. And that's the simplest way that I would put it is just this self-preservation tactic of trying to withhold some real quality of yourself so you don't get ousted. But, you know, it's just like this, mm. you kind of fear moving out and showing up with a hundred percent authenticity because you think, Oh gosh, you know, somebody's going to realize I don't know what I'm doing. And, and yeah. the biggest thing about that is nobody knows what they're doing, but there's yeah. certain, there's a certain percentage of us that are just better pretending. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the one thing I would definitely, cause I'm old. So, so like what I would say to anybody <laughs> who's like younger is that I promise you there are plenty of people I know are my age or older than me who are absolutely rubbish at what they do. <laughs> Dude, I know that sounds horrible, but I mean, if you've got somebody who's 25 thinking to themselves, I shouldn't be here, I promise you there's somebody 55 worse than you right now. Yes, yes. There's there's people that can sell anyone anything that actually yeah. should not be selling that thing and should not be in the marketplace whatsoever, but they have a confidence to them yes. that tells them that they can. And then there's people that are brilliantly talented who have so much of a gift to offer the world that keep themselves on the sidelines yeah. because they're too afraid of having the spotlight on them. Yeah. I think just before we started recording, I mentioned to you that I think I kind of suffer from imposter syndrome when I was in my mm. early 20s because I, I got my first gig on working on radio. And and I, I think I was just too busy and too, I don't know, I think I said the arrogance of youth or something. I was too arrogant to realise this is what was happening. But when I got my first job working in radio, I, I, I frequently thought to myself, what am I doing here? And and it, it, it does worry you because you do start questioning your own abilities, don't you? Yeah, it can be the ultimate, I want to say, liability to your relationship with yourself if you continue to let that conversation go unanswered by some self-assertions that are really catalyst for overcoming it. Do you think imposter syndrome can work in our, in our personal life as well as, as, as our work life? Can we, could we be a, an, you know, think we're not good at doing this area of our personal life? I think it can keep you, you sharpened. And it can keep you constantly working on your aptitude towards something. However, mm. it depends on a certain degree of imposter syndrome. I want to say that could be healthy, but there's a caveat in that your presuppositions of your, you know, to the degree that you agree with it mm. really will make a difference. And if you tell yourself, you know, you're kind of walking hand in hand with this fear of being found out that I feel like that's where that gets a little bit 
I want to say destructive or mm. unhealthy because your ability to show up authentically, that ownership and that grace, right? Mm. We have grace and truth. There's the truth of what you're good at and what you're not good at. There's the truth of your level of ability, but there's also a certain degree where it doesn't matter as long as you're willing. Readiness is kind of a gosh, readiness is one of the biggest lies that we're sold that support mm. imposter syndrome's very foundation. Readiness, it's like you have to be willing to take the first step of anything. And that's total pure will and decision to make that first step. Yeah. Because after that, the information that you're being given in step one prepares you for step two. And then you can go. The momentum really starts to feed off of itself. But if you allow this conversation to disable you from taking the first step. I think that, you know, you kind of have to have a friendly chat with imposter syndrome as opposed to letting it dictate you. you it's almost like you, you let it inform you. You don't let it, I, I guess, take the wheel in that regard. One of the things I do on the podcast is ask uh, the same three questions to everybody who turns up. And the first question is, uh, what is kind of like your number one productivity tip? If you, I know, I know, effectiveness tip. There we go. We're, we're going to not. We're not going to say productivity anymore. We're going to say effectiveness. <laughs> so your number one effectiveness tip. Uh, there's something you tell everybody. The truth will set you free, but first it'll piss you off. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so you have to be willing to take an honest assessment of where you are. Hmm. And you also need to, and that, that is, there's twofold to that. An honest assessment of where you are means measuring how far you've really come and not, I guess, excusing it away or, or justifying it away that it's yes, but I still have this much, this, this far to go. Look behind you before you look ahead of you. Hmm. There is, there is so much, confidence that can be created just by being willing to assess where you are honestly. And that's not to say how far you have to go, but how far you've actually come. Honesty is going to be the biggest asset to anybody's, anybody's goal, anybody's desired outcome whatsoever. Hands down, my energy creates my outcome and honesty about what is costing me energy is basically the biggest clear out of any liability in my way. And I would suggest for anybody that if they're finding themselves up against a glass ceiling of productivity, they don't know what's in their way. They don't know what they're doing wrong. Take an audit, take an honest mm. audit of your time, of your resources, of your focus, and, and really go all out in that first arena. Because if you want to create something magnificent, your busyness, your belabored tactical stalls, and all of the things that we do to keep our days busy, the more that you can dive into an honest audit, the more you can clear out. And when you clear out, you become clear, you have clarity. And that honest, just dive into yourself. You don't, you don't need more information most of the time. We don't need more answers. We need better questions. Yeah. And so I would start with a huge questioning process because most of the answers become extremely clear when we get out of the questions that are keeping us distracted. Yeah, I like that. Um, what, one of the other episodes I've re recorded recently, um, the, 
they mentioned about writing down all your achievements so you can look back at them. I love that. Would you also write down your failures so you can avoid them again and learn from them? To a certain extent, yes. I would, but I would not make any statements. There's a key, there's a very, very different way you can look at your failures. Look at your failures and ask questions about them. Do not make statements about Hmm. them. We get stuck in so many self-judgments and when it becomes a self-inquiry process about failure, we learn to almost befriend it as opposed to making it public enemy number one. I failed here. Yeah. That that kind of, uh, Napoleon Hill says that failure is not failure until observed. So yeah. if you don't call it a failure, you can still learn from it. If you're picking it apart like a trunk full of things that you're, you're trying to examine, failure becomes a, a very friendly learning process. And if we make a whole bunch of statements that this is failure, this is failure, take everything in that trunk that could potentially be amazing information to position you for higher and higher levels, and you dunkify it, essentially. You make it useless trash instead of something you can learn for. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Questions are the catalyst. Yeah. Failure gets a bad rap. Because yes. uh, it, it really does, because you, you don't... I mean, it's one thing I've come to realise is you don't learn anything from success whatsoever. Success, to, mm-hmm. you know, if you do something right the first time and it's brilliant, you haven't learned anything. You already know it because you've just done it. Yes. So yes, if it goes wrong, clues, but... yeah, yeah. If it goes wrong, then then you've learned something brand spanking new, and I think that is good. So, do you think the feeling of imposter syndrome kind of dissipates with age and experience, or, or do you think it can stay with us? It'll stay with us if our, if our horizon doesn't recede with it. Hmm. My hope is that it always stays with me to a certain degree that will keep me sharp and on my toes. Yeah. If I'm continuously challenging myself, that imposter syndrome will always give me the opportunity to, to dive in further. But I do think that the ideal would be that it, is, that it does go away because we will eventually adopt a relationship with ourselves that's so confident because we know that through trial and error and challenge and victory that we have built this relationship with ourselves that proves I have my own back in the, in the dust of the arena floor or in the stands, I am with me. And imposter syndrome can't really speak to someone who has that, who has that ability to tap into their own resourcefulness, that confidence that is... I guess a regulated ner- nervous system, a wholeness, a presence about them, that all things are permissible, even information from a state of imposter syndrome or a state of perfectionism, a state of procrastination. If I'm procrastinating with something these days, you know, used mm. to be I'm procrastinating something and it just, that was the way I operated. I'm mm. procrastinating and I'm procrastinating. I'll wait till the deadline to get it done. Yeah. I start asking myself, why am I procrastinating? What am I afraid of here? What am I looking at? What does this mean? What would achieving this mean? What would not achieving this mean? And I start to kind of understand my motivators and understand, you know, am I I afraid of failure here in this one topic? Am I afraid of if I show up as my real self and people reject that, is that going to be more painful than I show up as a fake and people reject that? And I, I learn more about myself, about my self-preservation measures and the metrics that my brain is motivated. And it really is just, it can be a useful tool, but I ultimately do think that the ideal would be that it, 
it stops informing you and more of a healthy self-dialogue informs you. Yeah, I I think it can stay with you in in a way, because I think Mm -hmm. our lives change drastically. They keep changing constantly. Um, And there's always new things happening and new things to do. I don't think you ever get to a point where you're kind of like, oh, I've got this nailed down now. I'm sorted. Yes. I mean, anything anything that's new for you can present itself when you're trying on a new costume or a new identity Mm. or a new avatar for yourself and you're stepping into a new place. Of course, I mean, you would have to be almost sociopathic to not have any sort of resistance or self doubt yeah. and say, like, do I have the capability of doing, do I want to do this? Is this my, is this my, um, is this my gold medal? Is this what I'm really, really, really after? Is this what's important to me? That questioning process is kind of, it's kind of part of the creation process. You have to overcome and, and speak back to that and, and dig into our, our internal process. That's kind of the only thing we have absolute control over is directing our thoughts and directing that conversation inside yeah I, I, you just just reminded me in a way because because I, I do a lot of running and um and i'm all right running in the spring and the summer and the autumn because it's warm but in the winter i'm getting to the point now where oh i can't be done with this anymore I can't run in the wind it's just too cold my knees ache and also everything aches in the cold um <laughs> So I've got the thought now of like October time, I've got to join a gym really so I can carry on running instead of just stopping running and hibernating. I've got to join a gym. And that terrifies me because I will definitely have imposter syndrome over that. Honestly, there's a couple misnomers about going into a gym that I think a lot of people can can relate to. And I, I totally can as well, because mm. I was I, I was doing my own thing and I kind of avoided the gym because I didn't want that level of accountability facing me all the time. I didn't mm. want people staring at me. Yeah. I didn't want people judging my abilities or inabilities. Yeah. And the thing is, in a, I guess, a goldfish bowl of people working out and getting in their physiology and doing what they can do and realizing what they can't do, we're constantly, as a collective humanity, we are all in a gym or in any capa- any type of thing that's hard or new or whatever, mm. where we're all doing it side by side, there is kind of this false assumption that everybody is looking at you or judging you. When yeah. truthfully, you're the only one it's measuring exactly. your, yes. <laughs> you don't know what your 100% effort is. Yeah. And if you fail out on something, we're all pushing that, that 100% effort and seeing where that is. We're finding even the guy that's you know, deadlifting four or 500 pounds. And he has his own 100% effort that he hopes nobody realizes is his new 100% effort. Yeah. And he's too busy looking at himself in the mirror, judging yes. himself in the mirror <laughs> to care about what you're doing. Most yeah. of the time people are minding their own business, just kind of yeah. hoping that everybody just doesn't we're yeah we're kind of hallucinating there, yeah, yeah. there's a lot more judgment that goes on in there than there really is yeah i'll report back in october and tell you <laughs> what it's like um just going back briefly you were mentioning about procrastination and and you're talking about kind of like hanging on until the deadline before you actually do something right. I, I i always think the worrying thing is if there is no deadline because if there is no deadline you never get that thing done right mm-hmm. yeah 100 percent, and in procrastination, there there is also something, there's a need being met hmm. that we're not looking at. 
if I procrastinate this and stay in comfort or discomfort, I'm kind of dislodging in a, in a backward kind of way. I'm dislodging that whatever I would have to face in getting it done. If I got it done, my gosh, what would that mean? I would have more, I would have to hold myself to a higher standard. I'd have to get more done. I'd have to look at what else is ahead of me. And we just, that's just not a comfort. And most of our brains are going, I'm going to need you to stay with what's familiar, stay in your box, stay in your zone, stay in your comfort zone, because Mm. everything else outside of that is a sharp edge. And our brain's main duty is to self-preserve and keep Mm. us comfortable and surviving. And in this soft, pillowy sense of, I guess, mushy, unchallenged it, it, yeah. the brain doesn't like to be challenged and so no. it's going to pull us back and that's where yeah. self-sabotage comes from that's 100 yeah. percent. we go outside of our comfort zone and yeah. the brain goes nope you Don't belong like over that. here i'm gonna tether you back to this so the second question i ask everybody is, is what's the best piece of advice you've been given it doesn't have to be anything to do with productivity or effectiveness um it could just be life advice something a mentor or a teacher told you Gosh, there are so many. There are so many. I think I'd have to, what's coming to my mind right now is one of my best friends, Ken Jocelyn. He says, want something for people, not from people. Mm, I like and that. kind of falls into Jim Rohn's quote where he says, in order to get everything that you've ever wanted, help other people get what, what, what they've always wanted. Just like make your business, the business of elevating and giving and some of the most impactful people in my life have always just been returning the light, returning the love, returning the goodness back to me. It's always the spotlight. They're always focused on other people. And my aunt Janet is no exception. Uh, My friend Randy Garn is no exception. All of these people that really make the most impact. They're not, they're not really, they're not in, Oh gosh, Randy as another way. He says, make people feel like, Make everyone in front of you feel like they're the most important person in the world. Yeah, I like that. I think it's, it's just the outward facing. Yeah, it's kind of like you, you, you're achieving success through giving to people rather than taking. Yes, because then yeah. everybody wins. Yeah, yeah, I like that. That's, that's good. Um, how do you think we can kind of identify that we are feeling imposter syndrome and how can we kind of start to manage this because you mentioned right at the beginning about reprogramming are there any Mm -hmm. tips for how we can kind of reprogram our thoughts absolutely so imposter syndrome typically shows up as a small kind of anxious feeling Hmm. something that's slightly akin to just a maybe a fearful slightly anxious tinge in our bodies. And we can typically feel that it's in our gut, it's in our chest, it's in our throat. It just feels like a little bit of, just a little bit of anxiety. Hmm. And what we don't, we don't need to calm down in these moments. I think that that's a huge misnomer and a disservice to anybody because anxiety is a signal. It's showing your body, it's showing you that your alarm system works, that your brain is perceiving some sort of threat or some sort of danger. It's good to have anxiety is healthy. It means that you are able to communicate with your body, that your body is sending you the clues that you need. We need to follow these breadcrumbs all the way to the real guts of things. Mm. And you need to send a signal back to your nervous system that says one thing, message received. And number two, you are safe. That's all we need to do. 
So in that controlled breathing is my preferred method because it speaks the language of the body as opposed to more thinking. We often do not need to think our way through our problems. We need to feel and respond to the feeling. So a box breath would be great. Holotropic breathing would be great. Um, Somatic release breathing would be great. Just breath work in general is just a very, very good way. But for to keep it really, really simple without diving into the whole (laughs) deep end of breath work, a box breath is simply inhaling for a count of four, holding at the top for the same count of four, exhaling for a count of four, and holding at the bottom at the exhale for a count of four. And doing that four to six times, that sends a signal to your body, hey, I see that you're activated. You are safe. And ultimately, you know, that's the highest form of a self-honoring communication system that you could have when you feel anxiety uh, due to imposter syndrome, perfectionism, uh, delaying your tasks, procrastinating and all that, or just that constant tinkering with something and not really being ready to release it because you're like, ah, it needs to be, it needs more information, it needs all of that. We don't talk enough about breathing, do we? No, because it's, it's... Because we just do it. It's very abstract. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. It's weird because I was when you were talking there. I was remembering back. I mean, I I do it a lot. I do it before I go out for a run. I did it before I came into my little booth to record this podcast. I always take a few really deep breaths, and when I mean really deep breaths, I like fill my lungs completely and Mm -hmm. hold it and let it. And it all it's always given me a little bit more energy. I felt a little bit more awake. I don't know whether it's just oxygen rush or something. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Your oxygen in your body, oxygen is energy. Even Gary Brecka talks about this beautifully, is that basically any dis-ease, any dysfunction we can have in our body cannot be present in a fully oxygenated system. A fully oxygenated mind is clear and is productive and your body is the same. It cannot be present with disease and a proper amount of oxygen at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, we should all do some breathing, shouldn't we? Definitely do, do a lot more breathing. Prob- I mean, I know we breathe. I know it sounds daft, really, doesn't it? But we do, obviously, breathe. But we prob- do breathe. Yeah. We only breathe about 10% of our capacity in a day-to-day. Sure. And if yeah. we're depressed or sick or sad or low energy, we're, we're doing less than that. So the third question that I ask everybody is... Uh, are you going to like this one? Um, what's your secret procrastination? Go on, what do you waste? What do you waste time on? What do I waste time on? Mm. Oh gosh, I um, I'm a collector of information. I over prepare. That is my that is my poison of choice. When <laughs> I do not know how to, when I have disconnected from my ability to know how. And everybody knows how, everybody knows what, everybody knows why, everybody has all their answers, they know where they're going, they know who they are, but we we like to insulate from that. We like to pretend we don't. Imposter syndrome can also be just a stall tactic. It could be fake. Yeah. Where, you know, we're just intimidated by the idea of being ourselves and what that would really mean to show up honestly, because we know, uh, you know, if we show up 100% ourselves, we're going to lose people, we're going to lose yeah. opportunities, our, our path is going to be more narrowed. And that's not that's not always comfortable. We need the insurance of knowing that we have this facade, we have this avatar that we play. And so my favorite is preparing to be the smartest person in the room, over preparing, taking notes, Mm. doing the books, doing the webinars, taking the college courses and 
not showing i have loads and loads john the amount of notebooks i have <laughs> i could i could have written 10 books by now but i want the book to be perfect so i'm yeah. going to continue to collect notes it's, so yeah. my <laughs> my weapon of choice to keep me stuck is preparation but i think preparation can help with the imposter syndrome can't it because if you know you are prepared then that can i suppose in a way take a little bit of an edge off the imposter syndrome side of things yes yeah it can provided that in the uncomfortable space of needing to enter into the arena you're not telling yourself ah just a little bit more information yeah <laughs> which yeah. where this is where honesty really sheds the light taking that honest audit Am I prepared? And if that answer, when you clear out all the crap that you're using to stall and get that out of the way, if you find that you're, I'm fully prepared to handle this and there's just like maybe 20% that I'm not fully prepared, can I step in with the 80 and trust mm. and trust that yeah. I, with a relationship with myself, will figure it out? That future self, we often say that, you know, she's going to need all this. And it's like, she's going to have all that because yeah. you will have taken the step. Their, your future self is capable of handling so much more than we give them credit for. Yeah. I, I'm not comfortable doing things if I'm not prepared properly. I do. I probably over-prepare a little bit, but it, it gives me, I, I can then take my mind off the topic and just focus on what I'm actually doing. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a certain degree. That that's that sounds like a healthy, yeah. dis, healthy appetite for aptitude, which is fine. Yeah. Because my pre my preparation does finish. Okay, see yeah. that I think that's yeah. literally the catalyst. Is does it ever stop? And for yeah. me, it, you know, I'm only I'm not even forty years old yet, and I still the preparation never stops, which tells me this is this is something I need to develop a little bit more of a brake pedal for. Stop preparing. Stop preparing exactly. <laughs> um, do you think we ever do you think we actually overcome imposter syndrome? Do you think we like kind of like fix it or do you think we just learn to to manage it and it will always be there? I think we learn to reframe it. I think it it may still to some appear like imposter syndrome when it truly has become reframed as to a healthy a healthy degree of self-inquiry. Yeah. Imposter syndrome is often like I said if if you were we're asking questions when we're dealing with it instead of making statements, we can kind of we can use it as a tool in the toolkit, but it's not the main, it's not the, the sledgehammer that just advises everything. Yeah, yeah. Because so I think a tiny little bit of, of nervousness, a tiny little bit of not being quite sure about yourself, that, that, can, yeah. that can switch you on, can't it? Yeah, it, it keeps you activated. It keeps you humble. And humility is in far too few, it's far too rare yeah. of a commodity out there. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Do you think social media is to play at this? I mean, social. I blame everything on social. Everything, everything that's wrong with the world is social media. Do you think? Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's in the eye of the beholder by mm. what you decide to do with it. Yeah. I have, I have damaged myself to. I mean, I have, I have shredded myself to smithereens on using social media as the yeah. weapon. It's been. And then it's also been one of the greatest communication tools ever. It yeah. just, it depends on the way we use it. It's, it's the same thing for anything. If I used a knife to do what it's made to do, 100% yeah. it can be a tool. But it depends on are we making it a tool or are we making it a weapon? 
Yeah, it's kind of like not measuring yourself against folks on social media because all you're doing is measuring the highlight reels, measuring yes. the the fake photo shoots. Oh, absolutely. Because we yeah. have a we have the 100 percent view of our iceberg. Yeah, we have a 20 percent view of their iceberg. Yeah. We tend to focus on the 80% view of our iceberg that's negative and the 20% that we put out there, we feel imposter and I feel like an imposter about. Yeah. We, we're aware. It's like, oh, I'm, just, I'm giving them the 20%, but here's the other 80. Yeah. How can we realize that they have an 80% of their iceberg as well and it looks just as dark, just as cold, mm-hmm. just as dreary yeah. as ours? It's and worse. I'm going to say it's somebody. worse. When you look at people, it's worse than mine. That will make you feel better. Well, if in the degree that you think the degree of somebody, how they show up, yeah, you know, how, how beautiful and wonderful and yeah. extravagant that is. There's also the law of polarity that says for every beautiful, extravagant life, there were depths, there were pains, there were yeah. failures beyond yeah. anything that we can comprehend. And I have never talked to anyone, no matter the level of success they've experienced, without an equal, if not greater degree of pain and suffering. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, it's fascinating. I could chat for ages and ages and ages about this, Cara. Yeah, um, for sure, for sure. Where can we find you? Give us your websites and your podcast again. My website is com, And it's a beautiful place. It, it's getting revamped this summer to be more of a conversational hangout place for authentic conversations and real, cool. real stuff. And then the podcast is the Happiness Habit Podcast. And it's anywhere that you can play a podcast, we're there. And um, my favorite place to hang out so people can see how bad of a humorist I am. (laughs) And I love being on Instagram. It's the only social media platform that really still engages me because it's mostly photography and art and pictures and all of that. So that's just Kara Payton with a little underscore at the end, too. Fantastic. What I'll do is I'll leave a load of links in the show notes and folks can just tap on those and get there straight away. Um, Absolutely. Cara, thanks ever so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation, John. Thanks again to Cara for a time. Don't forget to check out all the links in the show notes. Subscribe for future episodes. You can find the pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Amazon. It's all over the place. Just search for the Triple T Productivity Podcast. Thanks for listening.